Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hello, podcast fans. Tom Gibbs here. Welcome to Total Football. Please remove your hats and give thanks and praise to Rochdale, who gave the fifth round's magic quotient a significant boost with their late equaliser against Spurs. Elsewhere, Manchester United, Chelsea and Leicester were among the Premier League teams to secure safe passage into the quarterfinals. We'll delve into all of the weekend's football on today's show. We'll also speak to a current Premier League player to find out what happens on mid-season warm weather tours and whether allegedly stealing taxis is par for the course. Plus a word from Sam Wallace on the Barry Bennell case and what it means for football as a whole. But first, back here, I'm joined by your friend and mine, Telegraph Sports, Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably well, thank you. I'm feeling enlivened. We're recording shortly after the Rochdale Spurs match. We have to start there at Spotland. Rochdale, 11 points off safety in League One, managing a draw against Spurs, making them exactly as good as Juventus <laughs> in my book. What was the reason for this shock result, Charlie? Well, I think um, obviously Rochdale were fantastic. I think um, Spurs making 11 changes get, <laughs> is always going to be a boost. Um, and, you know, you, you'll always say this, won't you? For Rochdale to do that, you're going to need Spurs to have a bit of an off day, which they did. But they were they were really enterprising. Um, they said they were going to be positive beforehand, and they were. And not just in a up and at them kind of way. Lots of players were brave, wanted the ball in tight areas. Um, and that first goal, you know, lovely bit of interplay. Uh, and obviously they tied a lot. But we were talking about it before. I mean, that equaliser as well. I don't think anyone <laughs> saw that coming that last minute. I mean, just completely out of nowhere. But... Um, to have the legs to to lift themselves again was was amazing. Yeah, the game felt absolutely dead, dead didn't it? Uh, generous of Spurs to keep giving lower league opponents their replays at Wembley. And do, do you think that will affect their form in the Premier League or the Champions League, having to play another game? It's difficult to say because when they have a deep enough squad that they can make 11 changes, and yes, it didn't work out today, but you would think they would just do that again at Wembley and it would be a huge surprise if they didn't win there. Um and it might be good to give some of those fringe players some minutes, as we call it. Um, so I don't think it would affect them hugely, but it is an inconvenience that they could definitely do without. 
assuming they do get through that replay, do you think it matters when you're just sneaking through these FA Cup games to your overall chances of winning the competition? Or is each game in isolation its own thing, do you think? No. Is there such a thing as cup form? I don't know. I don't think it matters hugely. I think also sometimes you can squeaking through like in tennis you'll often the player will lose a match point early on in a tournament and they kind of have this new lease of life so I don't think um, I don't think Spurs would be affected by, by having to play a lot of replays or by, by squeaking through I think once you get to quarters semis it wouldn't make a huge difference How did you feel about seeing Rochdale would relay their pitch I was disappointed <laughs> Yeah although it's funny because that pitch did play into that first goal, their first goal. You know, it was a really nice breakaway move, slick passing the on a bobbly pitch. So really calmly finished as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, beautiful. I love that. I love the pass though, when a pass is so good, it just tells the forward exactly what to do. It was just so obvious. It's like, yeah, there you go. Put it in the corner. Triangle on the PlayStation control, wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to feel a little bit for Rochdale's centre-back, I thought, who, who was drawn towards uh, Sissoko for Spurs' first goal, when he probably should have been sticking on Mora, who scored. That horrible feeling when you've made a mistake against a much better player than you. We, we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Happens to be most weeks. Yeah, yeah. quite, quite. Uh, what did you make of Mora's performance uh, today? It didn't look especially amazing to me, but took his goal very well. Do you think he'll be a successful signing for Spurs? I, I've always been really impressed with him. I think he's really dangerous. He's really direct. Um, whenever I saw him for PSG and he I thought he was that today I mean you know with the caveat the opposition despite their willing probably isn't as high a standard as he's going to be judged on but I thought for a first start very promising very encouraging looked dangerous and really nice finish for that goal What did you make of the 11 who came in for Spurs obviously a chance for some of them to make a bit of a claim but the first off especially was pretty pretty poor yeah, my brother has a, a neat thought on this, I think, with fringe players. It's like, it's great until you actually have to use them. And so you'll often hear, like, <laughs> Spurs are winning and, and they've got, you know, Sissoko to come in. They've got Llorente. They've got Son to come in. And then you play these guys like, yeah, they're actually a lot worse than than their first choice players. Not Sonny. Surely you're no. not having a go at Sonny. No, Sonny's great. But but again, he may be someone who fits into that system really well uh, with, with those players around, with your Canes and uh, Ali's there. Uh, maybe was asking a bit too much of him to, to kind of carry a team as he had to today. But it, it was surprising because you looked at the team on paper beforehand and you thought that's still a really good 11 you know wow Spurs have some real depth but they did it against Newport as well didn't they lots of players came in and didn't really I mean none of those guys are going to be giving Pochettino a headache for say the Juve second leg Do you think that sort of settled starting 11 thing is a really big deal in football? Yeah, but it is harder and harder to do because you do get you have so many big games I mean Tottenham have done that really really well um well, what they've done, they've had a kind of 12-13 core and that's kind of the ideal. I mean, Chelsea could do it last year and it was, I mean, that showed the value if you can do it, but they weren't in Europe. The hard thing is then you get into Europe and we've seen with them this season, they haven't been able to do it and it is really, really difficult. Um, I mean, obviously it's best to know your best 11 for when that's available, but... Yeah, just really happy. Do you think managers still think like that? This is my, this is my. It always seems like it's the sort of thing which fans talk about a lot. He doesn't know his best eleven, and I'm not sure the top managers, at least, ever really think like that. Now, isn't it just a, this is the eleven that's going to win me this specific game? Well, the best manager, certainly in my lifetime, Sir Alex Ferguson, famously would plan weeks and weeks ahead. So it wouldn't be he had a best eleven. He exactly as you say, it would be for this game or what you know. For Nicky Butt used to laugh because it would always be a, a sort of scrappy away game. Be like Nicky, I really need you. It'd be like. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm sure that there is a truth in that with managers now. And, and Poch has done that as well. He's made 
slightly surprising changes. Um, you know, he gave Harry Winks the nod against Real Madrid uh, in that away game. Played Llorente then that no one expected. Quite. Well, Spurs live to fight another day against the mighty Rochdale. We will move on to Huddersfield nil, Manchester United 2. With great regret, Charlie, I'm afraid we are going to have to discuss VAR. Uh, one matters goal ruled out, was offside marginally, we think. Uh, was this, though, a clear and obvious error, which is supposed to be the uh, the deciding factor about whether VAR is used or not? Mm, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was clearly very close. It, you just think for VAR, I mean, they got, they did get the correct decision, ultimately. But, I mean, the PR for that, I mean, they, they're putting up this picture with wiggly lines that have been drawn by a three-year-old, and, and we're meant to be told that's definitive. Then we're told, and Hawkeye tweeted this, who do the technology, saying, um, yeah, the, the wrong image was shared. They were, like, rest assured, that's not what the referees were looking at when they made the decision. But it's just, I mean, it's just one thing after another. I mean, even when they're getting decisions correct, like they did yesterday, people are still up in arms about it. Uh, David Wagner said it took the emotion out of the game. Um, I mean, uh, it, it's not been a great, great couple of months for it. I think what I would say with it is that clearly some sports lend themselves really well. Tennis is one where it's completely objective. It's a stop-start sport anyway, so it, it's perfect. Football... It's limited it's as bad. well, isn't it, tennis? Like, there's 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 fewer things that can yeah. happen in a tennis match. Oh, there's literally... It's one thing, is the ball in or out. It's it's like if, only, if the only big decision in football is, is the ball over the line. If that was it for f- football controversy, then VAR would be amazing, because it, and it is great for that. We've seen that. That, that technology is fantastic. But it's so complicated. I mean, offsides are actually the more objective of some of these decisions. And even that, there was still a big debate. I mean, if you think, because when it's work, when it's most difficult, a penalty call that a ref might give, but then even seeing the same footage as the VAR person, they would give a different decision. So you're kind of like, well, you're just moving that to another referee's judgment which doesn't seem that helpful. The thing I find really strange about it is football now, especially the Premier League, credit to the Premier League, is broadly very well organised. The the messaging is very consistent, is very professional. Things arrived, fully formed, completely working. This whole thing, by contrast, feels completely botched. It feels like it's come in a year too early, frankly. Mm. Uh, who, who uh, Who are we putting this at the door of? Yeah, it is weird. And I do think the communications have been really bad about it. Fans just don't seem to really know what was going on. I mean, yesterday, the the actual referee did the kind of video, the TV symbol, only once the decision had been made. He didn't do it as if to say, I'm going upstairs or whatever it is. So it seems like there's a real lack of cohesion throughout. And it's hard to know whether the refs have been properly briefed and are just not listening to instructions or whether they don't really understand it. But it's a real disconnect. And yeah, I think fans are just bewildered by it. The whole discourse around it as well doesn't seem to be helping. It was The, the, the thing trotted out on Match of the Day was uh, about the naked eye and it not looking offside to the naked eye. But that's not the point, is it? Yeah. Because it either is offside or it's not. Yeah. It's, it's a fairly binary thing, isn't it? Um, shall we stop talking about VAR Charlie uh, and move on to Paul Pogba I saw the uh, I saw the tweet from Pogba uh, after the game out of context when he said gutted I won't be at Huddersfield but I need to get better 
I thought he was saying I need to get better at football, which would be far more uh, entertaining than him just being ill. It, it is unusual, the situation of him being ill. United announced it before the game through a tweet. Um, what do we make of all that with Pogba at the moment? Well, I thought it, to me, it had the, uh, it read like one of those, can you tweet something like, I mean, it didn't, can you imagine Pogba using those words? I mean, I, you know, footballer in not tweeting his own stuff, shocker. But um, yeah, it was a bit strange. I mean, obviously, if it was just an innocent illness, then the timing couldn't really have been worse, given uh, given the context. Um, it's clear there has been issues between them, or you know, a disagreement. And you know, Pogba isn't he isn't playing brilliantly at the moment, um, and it's difficult. There's so much scrutiny on a player who costs that much money. So you can't really, if Mourinho did want to just give him a rest and not play him one game, that's, that's a huge, huge story that Mourinho could probably do without. But it'll be interesting to see if he's recovered on, uh, on Wednesday. I suspect he will have done. Yeah, of course, playing Sevilla in the week in the Champions League. Do you think there's any chance that Pogba is going to end up like another Kevin De Bruyne, as in Chelsea-era Kevin De Bruyne, or Lukaku-Chelsea-era, mm. where Mourinho just can't get the best out of them and they end up leaving uh, under a bit of a cloud? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, it's possible. I mean, I guess Mourinho may go before Pogba does. Um, so Not man, putting much stock in that new contract then. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put too much importance on that. Um, yeah, it could be. I mean, and, and again, I don't think that's necessarily Mourinho being bad. I think they're off, it sometimes just doesn't work between a manager and... I mean, you know, Pep couldn't get the best out of Zlatan. They, there was a clash there. You know, that doesn't mean Pep is an idiot or a fraud or isn't a good manager. So it may just be that, yeah, Mourinho, it doesn't quite work out there. I mean, that Sanchez signing does slightly imbalance the squad. Um, and you wonder how much that was up to Mourinho. Managers just don't have as much say as they used to. So you do get these imbalanced squads and the manager has to make the best of it. Quite. Moving on to actual football that happened in that match. Uh, Romelu Lukaku took his goal very well, effectively killed the tie after seven minutes, really. Still looking a little bit like a flat-track bully, uh, only really thriving for United against the so-called lesser sides. Um, do we think that's a problem? Can't he just be uh, a bit of a role player for them, potentially? I mean, I know he costs an awful lot of money, but it's not the worst thing in the world to have someone who's going to win these sorts of games, is it? Yeah, exactly. And I think you made the point earlier in the season that Last year, their problem was drawing 0-0 against the so-called lesser sides. And now they've got someone in Lukaku, which means they're more often than not beating the lesser side. So he certainly does have a value. Sounds alarmingly consistent to be me, Charlie. I'm sure I was saying completely the wrong thing earlier in the season. But also, I mean, there is a... There's a... Clearly, it's easier to score against the lesser sides. Everyone does. I mean, there aren't that many who, you know, who really raise the game. Jamie Vardy is one. And Lukaku's record is bad, but he is also young and... I don't think this is it for him. I don't think he's never going to score against big teams. It will it will change for him. And uh, he's he's on course for 30 or more, so it's a decent season. Fair play. What's your reading of the new weirdly calm Jose Mourinho public persona? <laughs> it is strange, isn't it? It's like he's sort of tried everything and now he's landed on this. Um, maybe even he got tired of just like being nasty and horrible the whole time because by all accounts, that isn't him. You know, everyone who knows him in football uh, says it's very different uh, that image he projects I don't know it might be a realisation that his his image uh, with Manchester United isn't great and it looks like the fans there I don't know I, I don't think they've taken to him in the same way that say Chelsea did where he you know some managers and clubs just really fit and Mourinho and Chelsea there was such like that us against the world thing and that was so perfect certainly in that first spell when 
they were new money and everyone else hated them. That worked. I don't know if that that's working quite so well at United. <laughs> and maybe he uh, he thinks changing tack will uh, will be prudent in the long term. Is, is it just he's given up on the league? Do you think he realizes that it's gone, so there's no need to keep putting on this world's most livid man act? Possibly, but I don't feel like I feel he's so competitive that that wouldn't. It's still so strange. Like that Newcastle game was really odd, wasn't it? When they lost and he wasn't being like really horrible and begrudging. He was just quite gracious. And uh, it, was, it was unsettling. But maybe that's what he's trying to do. Maybe it's a genius mind games. Distraction technique. Quite possibly. It was West Bromwich Albion 1, Southampton Football Club 2 at the Hawthorns. Do we think Alan Pardew should be worried for his job at this point? Obviously, he's come in fairly recently for Tony Pulis, but there does tend to be one club every season who manages to get through three managers in the campaign. Yeah, he should be, but the size of his ego suggests that he might not actually be uh, famously referred to himself as the king, allegedly. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the I think what could save him is whether they think is whether they get to a point where they're so far adrift it's not worth the payoff because they could be quite a long way behind in a week or so but um, yeah it's difficult I mean by all accounts he is actually quite respected there and uh, what happened in Barcelona or allegedly happened isn't necessarily a sign that he's lost authority he has lost his phone and his wallet in Barcelona (laughs) which is a sure sign he wasn't listening to the advice everyone gets when they go to Barcelona which is don't get distracted by the cockerels on Las Ramblas (laughs) keep your hands firmly on your pockets yeah exactly Um, he he struggled there. <laughs> Clearly, he's in a bad moment. Yeah, it's a hard one as well because I think they're one in. They've won one in twelve on him in the league, but they hadn't won thirteen before. So, I mean, clearly there's something wrong. I mean, they have a feel a bit of a Sunderland last season. You know, results not going well on the pitch, and then various off-field things as well. Um, and you wonder, you know, if they do go down, whether they'll be a club who comes straight back up or whether that will be them for a couple of, you know it's easy to get stuck down the championship as, uh, as you're no better than anyone yeah alright let's, let's not make <laughs> let's not bring QPR into this we are we are looking at least dead set for another year in a championship and not league one which is uh, small mercies uh, easy to be sniffy about cup competitions for teams like Southampton who you know Uh, by the common uh, idea, are supposed to want to concentrate on the league. But they took a great away support there yesterday. The fans all seemed delighted. Can this galvanise them a little bit, a win like this? Yeah, it can do. Um, And it could give them confidence for league games. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of these things that teams are often really told off for playing weekend teams and and, and knocking, effectively knocking themselves out. But but when you look at the last shock team to win the FA Cup, it was Wigan who got relegated literally three days later. <laughs> and uh, pretty much before then, Middlesbrough in a relegation fight, they got to the final and lost. So it can, it definitely can damage your league prospects as well. Um, but it th- th- sort of did for Southampton last year, didn't it? Albeit the League Cup, not the FA Cup. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They then, that was basically, it felt like their season was done kind of after that. Um, but was, I mean... For the individual players, I think, who played well yesterday, that will lift them. That will give them confidence. Um, it's interesting. I wonder how much that manager really deep down did want to win that game. Um, but now they're through. Um, yeah, they, they should go for it. 
Friday night was Chelsea 4 Hull nil. Uh, another game killed very quickly Willian after two minutes but apparently Willian not good enough for Brazil's starting 11 for the World Cup which was unusually announced uh, mm. by their manager uh, earlier in the week um, he's some player though on form Willian uh, it, it probably strikes should strike fear into any non-Brazilian's heart that he's not getting into their <laughs> starting 11 for the World Cup yeah he was Really, really good. I think my, the favorite, my favorite thing he did that f- sort of elastico pass that I've never really seen done before. The Glenn Hoddle thought. So talk to me like I'm an old man. What's an elastico? So it's that skill that Ronaldinho sort of, in my mind, invented, where you flick it with the foot and then kind of instantly move it the other way with the same foot. And William, what Ronaldinho used to do was use that to beat players, and that's how it's normally used. But uh, William did it to play a pass right into Fabregas's path. Beautiful. Fabregas's shot was then saved. But yeah, his goals were lovely as well, William. One of either foot, which is always nice. And I enjoyed uh, Giroud's sort of revenant style. I mean, he was he looked like haggard by the end of that first half. The desperation to score. He was kind of on the turf and kissing uh, Emerson who'd set him up. It was, it was lovely to see. As an Arsenal fan, are you missing Giroud yet? No, not really. I think like he was, he was great at what he did and, uh, you know, he, he served a purpose. But... Um, I think it was probably time for him to move on. But I think it's fun. Like he's someone who he does seem to genuinely love scoring or sort of be relieved at having not scored more than anyone else. I was thinking it's like Inzaghi, Van Nistelrooy had a bit of that about them. Just like they looked so relieved and happy that they'd scored. And Giroud, there was real meaning in that kiss. <laughs> Brighton and Hove Albion saw off Coventry 3-1 down in Falmer. Uh, Jürgen Lacadia looking decent there, record signing. Do you think he's the answer to the problems they've been having up front? It's difficult. There's that classic, he's come in from Holland, so is he going to be a Van Nistelrooy or a Kesman? Uh, or a Suarez. Or a Suarez, yeah. Uh but you, you heard this as well, that he's had three hit singles as well. I did not know yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's uh, the genre? Well, I was listening to one earlier today. It sounds a bit like Zayn Malik. I mean, like sort of auto-tuned to the max. But, but, but uh, classy. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to change your life. But um, but will he change Brighton's was, uh, was the question. Uh, I look forward to your monstering at the hands of One Direction Twitter <laughs> on Monday, Charlie. <laughs> um, he, he looked really good yesterday. Um but you know he's been injured since he came hasn't he so it was his first game Um, 14 million again as well that now is really quite cheap that that feels like 2.5 million when when I first started watching football Um, yeah they do need someone they've got Joa as well and um, sort of back in on loan so we'll see I think that you know one game in against a lower league team is maybe not the best barometer for him but he looked sharp he definitely looked sharp and you know came alive inside the goal that kind of striker inside the area I should say Quite Leicester City 1 Sheffield United nil. Uh, Leicester if you, I mean we'll go through uh, the quarterfinal draw Leicester versus Chelsea Man United versus Brighton a replay of the 83 final of course Sheffield Wednesday or Swansea versus Rochdale or Tottenham Wigan or Manchester City versus Southampton if you're going to pick an outsider from that it's Leicester isn't it? Leicester I really like Leicester I feel are in a season that's been so top six dominate or big six dominated and then kind of everyone else Leicester are the team outside the big six I most enjoy watching I think they're really exciting you know, with Vardy Mares, Damari Gray I really like and they, they look the most fearless I mentioned Vardy before his record against the bigger teams is sensational he, he seems to lift his game for that um, yeah they're, they're the ones I would say they're the only ones really outside of that big group 
who you can see causing much of an upset or you know to win it would have to cause two or three probably what do you think makes for a good draw in the cup because mm. i think everyone saw that draw on saturday and thought oh that's that's the least interesting draw possible but isn't the prospect of uh, you know the the four biggest in inverted commas teams left facing each other in the semis quite exciting yeah but i guess that would mean it's a good semi final draw but in the so longer term it's a good draw in the short term it's not i mean i think well the 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 main thing you want is if you do have so-called lesser teams against bigger teams, you want them to be at home because that gives the biggest chance of an upset and you get fewer dead games. I mean, like Hull, Chelsea, for instance, had that been at Hull, they might have... Also, because you're at home, you're obligated to give it a go a bit more, whereas it felt that Hull-Chelsea, they were just like, let's sneak in and out of here as quick as we possibly can. Like They had changed half their team. Um, so I would say, yeah, that's that's what you want. And you want a bit of a mix, don't you? I mean, like, ideally for the quarters, you might have one like heavyweight blockbuster and then a couple of uh, potential banana skins. Sure. Would be ideal. Sure. Monday night, the final game of this round is Wigan versus Manchester City, a rematch of the 2013 final. Already mentioned, Charlie. Very well done. How would you approach this game if you were the Wigan manager, Paul Cook? Uh, just show them a video of that 2013... <laughs> Final on That's a loop. your team talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess the prerequisite is you are really physical and you're strong, and I, you know, I don't just mean making big tackles. I mean that you you're fit and you're running around as much as you possibly can. You're getting in their faces, but you know, cleverly so, not flying into tackles, but making it difficult, not standing off them. You may be target De Bruyne specifically. Obviously, the issue there is. There are other players. I mean, they are going to have to sit deep. They, they, they're they not just going to go out and attack them, go gung-ho, because City will pick them off. Um, given that they've lost one league game this season, most of your reference points are games where they haven't won that easily, but they generally still have won. Um, so it's hard. I mean, if they concede first, I think that's game over. Um, but yeah, if they can get one, then City may get frustrated, but it's difficult to see that happening how many times would this game have to be played for Wigan to win it do you think mm, 30 30 the odds the best odds you can get on a Wigan win latest live odds on your podcast mm. now are 22 to 1 which suggests that's nowhere near uh, worth worth a punt is mm. it at, at this point they, they, it feels like that's uh, that's very very generous to Wigan yeah I, as a, yeah, I think it, it wouldn't happen 1 in 22 times Good. Um, I think we've sufficiently inverse jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that was what I was trying to do. West Bromwich Albion have just returned from a fairly eventful trip to Barcelona on a mid-season warm-weather training tour. But what exactly happens on these tours? I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Brighton midfielder Steve Sidwell to shed some light on the issue. Steve, you've been on a few of these trips yourself. Were you ever tempted to steal a taxi? <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's never come into the equation, to be honest. Um, it's the first I've heard of it, uh, but it, uh, it doesn't surprise me in football, I suppose. And how much on these tours is about getting the fitness levels up and how much of it is about getting team uh, bonding happening? Yeah, I'd say you know the fitness levels are probably there already for most of the players. It's more of a team bonding session. Um, the jobs, the, the, the January transfer window has just taken place. so There could be some new signs through the door. Um, so it'd be a, a chance to, to get away warm weather, a different um, different settings, uh, and a chance to, for the team to really gel and, and and kick on for the last bit of the season. What does that team bonding look like for a Premier League team in 2018? 
Um, it could be anything. You know, obviously, the majority of the, uh, the days is obviously going to be taken up with training sessions in, in the morning and afternoon. But there could be a few days um, off rest in between. It could be a golf a golfing day. Um, you know, it could be a trip out uh, to a local restaurant. So it could be, it's, it's pretty boring. It's nothing extravagant. Um, but it's just something for the lads to get together um, and gel to, and gel and, and really give it that last kick on to, to the final push of the season because that could be the matter of either staying up, uh, chasing promotion or, um, or winning titles. I think it's slightly unclear to some people exactly how much boozing goes on at these sorts of things because I think in modern football we're sort of expecting that every player is teetotal and good as gold but of course on events like this surely that's relaxed a little bit um, yeah no it's uh, you know and again yeah, these, these trips are, are there and designed for training regimes so you know most days you're going to be training morning and afternoon as I've said but there will be the odd, uh, the odd day that you'll have off um, but there's, there normally is a strict alcohol ban curfews of, as we've seen and it's down to the professionals really to, to stick to that you know there's, there's going to be some that's going to be breaking curfews or, or having alcohol um, more than the, the manager's discretion and that'll be down to them and, and they'll have to face the repercussions Is that ever dealt with internally by teammates or would that always be something that the manager has to officiate on? Yeah of course it would be down to, down to the manager um, you know every, every trip that I've ever been on the manager had a close eye on all the lads and, and uh and uh, and kept that on where they are probably at all times. More often than not, you're in you're in your own resort, so you can't obviously, obviously go out the resort. So, uh, like this, and I've been on I've been on you know you know tens and tens of uh, of, of trips, and they've always worked out well for me. And I've I've never seen no wrongdoings on them. How important is it just simply spending an extended period with your teammates for the morale of the team overall? Yeah, no, it's big. I mean, especially sort of it, you know, my predicament at the moment, I've been injured most of the season. So my training regime is very different from the first team regime. So we're sort of passing ships of the night as such. So, you do you know, even me, see them? Uh, do, you, do, you, do the times cross over uh, the training ground? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, it, would, it would literally be just passing through uh, by the corridor or, you know, just literally walking through the gym and, and seeing them. You don't really see them as much as... Um, as obviously you are when you are training day in, day out with them. So trips like this that come along where everyone goes on, it's nice to gel and, and everyone get together and stick together. Why does that make for a better football team though, just simply spending time with the people around you and, and getting to know them? I, I, I think it's sometimes slightly unclear about exactly how that makes the team play football better. Um, I think it, well, it just happens in all walks of life, doesn't it? I think you look at most businesses out there, they all have sort of off, uh, off-site days where obviously not going away obviously uh, uh, abroad or they might just have uh, you know the uh, the odd day out where they uh, they sort of just reconfigure outside of their own um, settings really and it's just it's just that another case of putting everyone in that right direction looking forward to reaching goals and targets that they've set uh, and giving it a final push to to really achieve something at the end of the season have you ever heard of a tour that's done the opposite where there have been sort of fallings out and the team has come back unhappier than no. when it left? Yeah, no. The ones that I've always been on uh, has worked very well. I mean, last year, we went to Valencia last year about this time, I think it was February or March. Um, and then we obviously come back and, and we had another kick on and, and clinched obviously uh, a promotion to the Premier League. So nine times out of 10, they do they do work well. Um, and as I've said, all my experiences, I've never seen no, no major wrongdoings. Um, so... It's a big positive for me. What about the players' attitudes? Do you look forward to these sorts of trips, or would you rather just have time off at home and see your family a bit more? 
Yeah, no, I think again, I think with this, uh, there was there was mumblings wasn't there around this West Brom one that's happened that the players didn't want to go on it because of the timings. I found, I mean, to me, I found the timing strange, be it with a Monday game and then a Saturday game. But nine times again, nine times out of ten, they are put in place where there's a game probably ten days apart, and it's good to get away, um, especially somewhere different and somewhere abroad, which is which is nice warm weather. Um, but yeah, no, some of the lads that you might have some foreign players that would rather probably go home see families that they haven't seen for a couple of days but obviously you know it's part and parcel of the job they can do that at the end of the season when they get the time off How about you Steve how close are you a return for Brighton at the moment? Yeah fitness is going well uh, rehab's going good I'm six weeks now post-op so I'm hoping to be back out training another two weeks time um, so I'm ahead of schedule and uh, it's, it's been frustrating obviously for me personally uh, I'm watching the lads do, do ever so well this year so I hope I can get back and, and play some part of the season Back in time for the big cup game against Man United. Let's hope so. Fingers crossed. Good stuff. Thanks very much for joining us, Steve. Okay, thank you. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Our chief football writer Sam Wallace wrote about the Barry Bennell case in his Sunday Telegraph column this week. Sam, your piece begins by noting that historic sexual abuse runs through every echelon of English football. Does this mean we're going to be hearing about Bennell and similar cases for some time? Well, I think um, on Bennell, uh, the Guardian reported on Saturday that although there are 86 further accusers, um, that the, the there's not been a decision yet about whether those cases are, are actually going to go to court. There's, I think the CPS decide whether that's in the public interest. They they try them in batches of 12, as they did um, with the case, uh, with, the, with the 50 um, charges which he, were, he was found guilty of last week. So I think it would be fair to say that it doesn't look like every single one of Bennell's victims is going to have their day in court, um, which is... Uh, Probably painful for them, but that's 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 the way the justice system works. And as you say, what I focused on in my column was what happens when the um, when the when the accused are dead, which is the case, obviously at, at Chelsea with um, Eddie Heath, and also uh, at Blackpool with Frank Roper and QPR with uh, Christopher Gieler. So my point was was that. I think clubs have a moral obligation. Obviously, there can be no criminal case because the accused is dead, but there are the likelihood of civil cases, and um, we're starting to hear more now from lawyers who, who are representing the victims, and they, they feel that, that, that because there is what they call similar fact evidence where the same people over 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 spans of you know quite a long time are making the same kind of accusations then there's then there's a, there's a very good case that what they're saying is 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 correct operation hydrant is the name for the police investigation into historical sexual abuse shocking numbers associated with that 839 victims 294 suspects across 334 clubs what's the status of that investigation sam and who's in charge of that i believe that that is a, it's a multi-force uh, investigation so Depending on the club, where, as you said, which could be at any level, depending on where that club is located, then the 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 force under you know the sort of geographical jurisdiction they take care of it. But but yeah, Hydrant is is the one that kind of coordinates the, the all the different um, forces investigations 
Um, and that's, that's why we get those national statistics from them. And what do you know about what the clubs are doing at the moment, Sam? Are they cooperating with all of this and, and doing everything they can to help? Well, that, that's an interesting question because, as with everything in football, all clubs are doing things different ways. I mean, we've we've heard a lot about Bunnell's connection with Crew, um, and I certainly read over the course of last week that no one's even sure whether Crew have an internal inquiry. They've said that they are going to do one, but um, no one's no one's really no one's really sure if that's even started. I think Crew have said that they were that they uh, that they were waiting for. for um, the legal authority to go ahead once the sort of CPS and the police had finished. But Manchester City say, well, you know, who are also deeply affected by Bunnell, well, that's not the case. They've got their own QC-led inquiry. Um, I mean, the suggestions they are spending a lot of money on this, that they are they are going to great depth to find out exactly what happened, including unilaterally naming, I think it was uh, John Broom, that's the name, um, as part of a statement after Bennell's conviction last week. So Chelsea also have an inquiry which is being led by a QC uh, into Heath. I did ring round a few clubs last week. Um, Blackpool are, are um, collaborating with the FA inquiry, uh, which is led by another QC, Clive Sheldon. And not Queen's Park Rangers couldn't tell me what, what, what their inquiry is um, or, or what constitutes it or who's in charge of it so as ever um, what will be interesting will be the extent of these reports and how much is published because there is no legal requirement on the clubs to um, to publish them they are well they are completely kind of uh, done internally and, and they will decide what is published and what is made public Obviously, all of these cases uh, largely refer to things that happened in the, in the quite distant past. Do you have faith in the safeguarding measures that are in football now to prevent these sorts of things from happening again? Um, I can only go on what I'm told, and um, you know, you only need to look at the the list of staff at any Category A academy. Sorry, that's Category One academies and, and Category Two as well. Um, it's the Premier League and top of the Championship to see that there's a full-time safeguarding officer. I don't want to be—I I, I don't want to be the person that says it can never happen again. Um, but I think we're working in a very different landscape. I mean, even before the extent of the Bunnell, the crimes of Bunnell were known. I think I think we we, we were already in a different era, and I, I don't think that um, I, I don't think having read that that any parent or any club would ever. Would ever make any assumptions or, or take take anything as given again? It's interesting that the Sheldon, the FA uh, Sheldon inquiry, that runs that the, the the time frame that that is looking at is 1970 until 2005, and and that is on the basis that they believe that safeguarding um, regulations or guidance become so robust by 2005 that they don't feel that there is that there is any any stones that need lifting after that. Again, maybe that's wishful thinking. I, I don't know, but certainly it would be it would be much much more difficult for a for a Bunnell to do the kind of unspeakable things that he did um, in the current day. Let's hope so, Sam. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Time for your Hero of the Week, and it's an easy victory this week for Brighton and Hove Albion defender Connor Goldson. Connor scored his side's second goal against Coventry, his first for the club since returning from heart surgery to correct an enlarged aorta, a condition which could have killed him if he'd carried on playing. 
He told Brighton's official website, I'm not a person to moan. I'm lucky because I was 24 when I was diagnosed. I had the treatment and I'm fortunate that I was able to play again. Top work for Connor. But Charlie, what's your favourite ever footballing comeback? Mm, So maybe not quite on that scale, but mine is Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, uh, R9. Uh, So he, (laughs) for our younger viewers, uh, our listeners even, he... uh, the 98 World Cup, of course, he was the big thing and he had that horrific episode before the final. He played but sort of sleepwalked through the final, then had an injury ravaged three or four years uh, and then came back for the 2002 World Cup final and we wondered, what, what would he still be the same player? And he was even better and he scored eight goals uh, as Brazil won the World Cup and he got two in the final with that really weird shaved head thing. Uh, but it felt very redemptive and, uh, for me, was one of the great comeback stories. An extremely satisfying outcome. That's your lot for Total Football. Please join us again this time next week in your digital media device in time for your Monday morning commute. Don't forget to subscribe and endorse us on iTunes with a five-star review. Every star fills my heart with exactly one gram of joy. Contact me on Twitter if you would like. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. By the music of the superb band behind our theme tune at MergeRecords.com. Search for Polvo. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist fund managers. Do you like opinions, rugby and six countries competing against each other for the ultimate glory? Then Brian Moore's Full Contact is for you. Each week, Brian Moore and a variety of current and former rugby players bring the most in-depth analysis of everything oval ball related. To be part of it, make sure you're subscribed to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the only way to spend your Tuesday commute. If you like rugby. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.